Well, welcome if you are new this evening or if you've not been with us the last few weeks. For two weeks, we've been looking at the human heart. And it might be, if the person next to you has been here for those two weeks, they might by now be thoroughly depressed. So two weeks ago, we talked about hypocrisy, uh, 7 verse 6 on page 1010. These people, they honour me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. What you see on the outside is not the same as what's really going on underneath. And then last week, we looked inside, uh, 7 verse 21. From within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts. So that is the, the verdict of Jesus on his religious contemporaries. You, you look clean on the, outside, on the outside, but that is only an act. In fact, all of us, we are all defiled on the inside. And the, the, the more that you're able to think like a first century Jewish person, then the more worried that you will be. See, the, the Pharisees, they are not really the pantomime baddies in their world that we take them as now. The Pharisees, they are the only people who take all this stuff seriously. These are the people who are really trying to please God. So I think we, um, we sort of slouch into verse 24, uh, feeling down and with quite low expectations. And then verse 24, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. Uh, and now we have um, extremely low expectations. I don't know if you've been here at 9.30, if you're following the, the 9.30 series, Tyre is where Jezebel was from. Uh, pagan, Gentile, the wrong God, the wrong morals, the wrong history. And outside Tyre, Jesus meets a woman from that neighborhood. And they have a, a short, shocking conversation. Uh, Mark's Gentile readers, first readers, would have found this story deeply, deeply reassuring. They would read this and they would, it made them love Jesus. But I wonder, as Sue's uh, read this for us, I wonder whether we found it offensive. wonder even if it makes us hate Jesus. It's quite a, a different reaction to the same story, isn't it? Uh, Got to wonder whether that means there's something wrong with them or something wrong with us now. So we'll have um, three headings tonight. And uh, the first two are in the story. And then the third one will be the implications. We'll draw those out. So first of all, the no. Uh, Mark does everything he can to get us on this woman's side. Uh, she hears about Jesus and verse 25, as soon as she hurt, she's on the move. She's like the most enthusiastic crowds back in Galilee. And then Mark, he tells us why. This woman had a little daughter uh, she's like Jairus back in chapter 5, the, the synagogue ruler whose little girl was dying. But this woman's daughter is possessed by an impure spirit. And we're not given very many details, but just look at verse 30. Verse 30, the fact that this girl can lie on a bed is a sign that the demon has gone. So this is probably something very physical, very vocal, very frightening, and very dangerous for her daughter. But the woman, she's heard enough about Jesus to know that everywhere he goes, 
Unclean spirits are driven out by him. The answer to her daughter's problems is in a house in her village. So she rushes to him and fell at his feet. And again, that is exactly what Jairus did. And also the the woman that we met in chapter 5. We could not be more on this woman's side at this point. Then Mark, he tells us her background. Verse 26, she's Greek, born in Syrophoenicia which a first century reader would know is a problem. But before we have long to to think about it, Mark is back with the empathy. Uh, She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. So there she is, at his feet, begging with a daughter, perhaps um, screaming and hurting herself at home with no help otherwise, at the feet of the one person that we know can help her with just a word. Please drive the demon out of my daughter. And Jesus says, no. There are uh, pages and pages written in good commentaries by good people to, to try and make it appear that Jesus says something a bit less stark than no. But just look down with me at verse 27 and see what you think. Verse 27. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Remember her request? She's in a hurry. Her daughter is in danger. She needs him to come and do something now. And, and he says no. Uh, some of the, the, those pages in the countries, they point out, actually, it's more like not yet. So he says, first, let the children eat all they want. I think that is important. Uh, Jesus, he, he's not being horrible. He's not being racist. Uh, Jesus uh, knows all about the Gentile mission, the fact that his message will go to the whole world. That is his plan as well. But that is not a lot of use to her and her daughter, that kind of not yet. Jesus, he, he means that he is the Jewish Messiah, that he has come to his own people. Um, it, it's not at all as if he's saying, well, maybe I'll come and help you tomorrow. This is first let the mission of the Messiah be to his own people and let that play out in full. Can you, um, can you see why people find this offensive? Uh, we, uh, we may be used to the, the Bible image of the children of God. It's a lovely window, isn't it? Into the close relationship that God gave to the children of Abraham. Uh, I'm here for the children, Jesus says. The bread is for the children. The children need to eat until they're satisfied. And it would not be right, such a strong word, isn't it? Would not be right to take their bread and throw it on the floor for the dogs. And the, the cultural view of dogs um, changes around the world and through time. Dogs may be good in your culture or bad in your culture. Um, dog is a particularly gendered insult today in our world, uh, and I found no evidence at all uh, that that was the case in the first century. But still, however you understand this uh, through your cultural lens, this is a shock, isn't it? No, this is for the children. It would not be right 
to give it to the dogs instead. And um, again, the commentaries, they, they do their best uh, with whether this is really a very nice word for a dog. Uh, you know, more like the kind of dog that Paris Hilton carries around in her handbag than the kind of dog that uh, guards the back of the warehouse. But I'm really not sure that helps very much to take the sting out. Um, Paris Hilton, she seems to really love her dogs, perhaps too much, you might say. Uh, And I'm sure that Peter Pan, Marilyn Monroe, Silvington, Princess Paris Jr., Prince Hilton, the Pom, Prince Baby Bear, and Tinkerbell, I'm sure they all eat, that's her dogs, Uh, I'm sure they all eat um, very well. But next time that you meet her, um, try taking away her food and calling her a lap dog or any kind of dog and see if you get any free perfume. Um, You can see why people find this offensive, can't you? Though, again, at the time, this would have been normal. I think perhaps the the Pharisees reading this at this point might even have been uh, relieved. You know, Jesus, uh, we were a bit worried. You worried us a lot by being friends with sinners and with tax collectors. But at least there are some standards. At least he still recognizes God's Messiah should be for God's children. So think for a second how you would like her to respond. Don't look at how she actually responds. Just think um, how you would like her to respond. The Pharisees, I think, they want her to go back to her place. Uh, The Gentiles should go away and realize that she has no right to ask for anything from Jesus. I think that's what they would like. But how about us? Um, How would you want her to respond? Or how would you respond if you were her? Um, I think I want her to, you know, put both hands on her hips and head back and full volume. Who are you calling a dog? And you know where you can stick your miracles? Didn't need you anyway. Something like that, maybe. Uh, I think that is what you would hear in response, isn't it? On nearly every street in nearly every town in the world. Or um, maybe you'd like something a bit more dignified. Uh, something glorious dignified and quiet. Uh, Maybe she should say, well, I am sorry that you feel like that. I'd heard that you were different. My mistake. And then walk away slowly, shaking her head, something like that. Wouldn't we cheer at a response like that? But look, just look at what she says. Uh, She's one of my favorite people in the whole Bible. Look at what she says. Verse 28, Lord, she replied, even the dogs underneath the table eat the children's crumbs. Isn't that the most extraordinary thing you've ever heard? Um, And that is the point. She at this point, this is going to be our second point. She is the contrast at the heart of Mark chapters 4, 5, 6, 7 and 8. Um, let's make sure we understand her answer first, and then um, then we'll go on to the contrast. So allow me to make verse 27 and verse 28 a bit longer uh, to add in some of the shared cultural background. So Jesus, he says, um, I cannot help you. I am the Jewish Messiah. I've been sent here by God for the children, the people of God. And I, I cannot be a, a sort of miracle healing machine for you. I cannot be at your, at your beck and call. I am the Messiah for Israel, and I am God's global king. And she understands that. 
She, understands, she accepts that. She understands that the children of Abraham are the children of God, and she is not. She understands that Jesus is not just about miracles. He's about a kingdom. She understands that she could only come very, very low in the pecking order. And she says, I am happy to join Israel on that basis. Sign me up. I want you to be my Lord's and my king, show me where the dogs may queue for the crumbs. It's an extraordinary answer. And um, I think there are two contrasts that Mark is really interested in. First and longest, just, just think about her compared to the Pharisees, who we've met the last two weeks. Uh, they are Jewish, she is Gentile. They are experts, she is pagan. Everyone thinks that they are the clean people and they think that she is one of the unclean people. When they come to Jesus, they come to Jesus criticizing him and judging him, whereas she comes to Jesus flat on her face and begging. But I think it gets more interesting than that. They come assuming that they have the right do you see that from the last couple of weeks? They assume that Jesus, he has to give them the whole loaf. In fact, they actually want to deny other people, even other Jewish people, the tax collectors and the sinners. But they are absolutely certain that they deserve anything that Jesus is giving out. Contrast that to her. She knows she has no rights. She's just a dog at the children's meal. And she's not even demanding the whole loaf. She's not demanding anything, really. Just one crumb would be okay. The kind of crumb you, you drop on the floor, it gets dirty, and no one would want it apart from the family pet. Uh, she is okay with that. And at the, the real center of the contrast, she knows that she needs something from Jesus, and she will do anything to get it. But the Pharisees, they are in denial. That was our word last week. They, they don't think they need anything. They are the clean people. All of their effort goes into this um, appearance that they put up outside that persuades everyone around them that they are the clean people. But they are wrong. Uh, Jesus told them last week, told us, they have pumps of evil and filth inside them. From their hearts comes defilement spewing out all over them. They're the opposite of who they think they are, but they cannot see it and they deny it. But she, she can see her needs and she can understand it and she can accept it. So she is humble where they are proud. And the, the shock of the contrast, do you think that might even make a Pharisee stop and think? I wonder, uh, do you think any of the Pharisees from chapter 7 ever read this book? Uh, I, I wonder, I bet they did. So Mark, uh, who wrote this book, he was a good friend of Paul's, traveling companion of Paul's. Paul was a, uh, a Pharisee, uh, knew all these people. It's only about 30 years later that the book was written. Um, so do you think there's one of the, the guys who was there in chapter seven? Uh, maybe he's in his 60s now, and he's been given a copy of Mark's gospel by Paul and begins to read and as he reads through, he sees the difference between himself and this extraordinary woman. The Pharisees who need nothing and think they have the right to everything. 
And in Mark 7, we have the, um, the scroll of Isaiah open. Jesus quoted from it back in verse 6 and verse 7. And in Isaiah, all the way through, the proud people are the bad people. And the Pharisee would know that. It's really the, the whole Bible. Uh, and uh, in the very last chapter of Isaiah, it says this. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my words. Do you think the Pharisee would notice? The strangest thing, this Gentile woman, she is more like what God was looking for than than we were. Do you think the penny would drop for him? (gasps) God sent his Messiah to help us, and we killed him because we were too proud and too blind to see that we needed him. That would be quite a wake-up call, wouldn't it, reading this book? But there's another contrast as well, and it's a more surprising one. Um, This time, Mark has the disciples in his sights for the contrast. And I should say, really, actually, that Peter does. Um, Do you know that Mark, he wrote up the the preaching of Peter, the disciple. That is actually why Peter comes across so badly in this gospel. Peter's constantly the fall guys, because Peter is the one uh, telling the stories against himself. So contrast this woman with the disciples. I think um, through Mark's gospel, we've been really very sympathetic to the disciples. I don't know if you remember uh, the two boats that we looked at uh, in the, the summer, before the summer. Um, two times when the, the disciples get things a bit wrong, uh, Jesus maybe we thought was a little bit harsh to them, and all of us were basically on their side. Do you remember that? Uh, Jesus says things like, do you still have no faith? And we thought, oh, give him a break, uh, back in Mark 4. Uh, or just turn back one page to Mark 6, verse 51. So it's, very, it's back in the summer for us, but it's very recently in Mark's gospel. Uh, we're on the, the same lake, the same disciples, the same fear. We could even be in the same boat. And again, like in Mark 4, there's a bit of a storm or at least a strong wind. And again, Jesus, he calms the sea. So verse 51 of chapter 6. Then Jesus climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Um, See how many deliberate points of connection that has with chapter 7. Hearts and understanding, and even loaves. Uh, Jesus and the woman have been talking about uh, bread and about crumbs. So compared to her, the, um, the disciples, they are well-fed, satisfied. They've just carried 12 basketfuls of leftovers after 5,000 people ate and were satisfied. But they don't understand, and their hearts are hard. Contrast with her. Uh, she is hungry. She's one of the dogs begging for a crumb. She's hungry and she's needy, but she really understands, doesn't she? Uh, Lord, that might just be a term of respect, or it might be that she has understood something. The disciples still have two pages to go before they understand Jesus is the king. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. You think of anyone in Mark up to this point who understands any of Jesus' parables straight away, and yet she is straight there in the heat of the moment, when she should be feeling angry and rejected, when she's desperate about her daughter, she understands. 
And then how about her heart? Uh, what do you think of her beautiful, humble heart? Uh, some people writing on this chapter, some people say this is the moment when Jesus first learned that racism was wrong. They tell the story as if this is the point at which she taught Jesus something that was a big revelation to him. But that, um, that misunderstands Jesus. It actually it misunderstands the whole Bible. The, the choice of Israel, it was always for the benefit of all the nations. And it was never because they deserved anything or had any rights. Uh, it was only because you were the smallest and the least, God says in Deuteronomy. And um, Jesus, he doesn't change his mind about anything here. Remember, with the, the Pharisees, he's just proved that he can see our hearts. He can see inside. He saw the evil in the Pharisees. And he sees the humility in her. And actually what he says, it provides the opportunity for her to respond. And she speaks. And then look at verse 29 back in chapter 7. He says, for such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. And I think it's in this contrast, this is the point maybe where we lose sympathy for the disciples. See, up till now, the disciples have been the best available. You know, at least they're not actually trying to kill him like the Pharisees. Nobody could understand Jesus. It's so hard. No one could do it. But now, um, here she is. Takes her about five seconds to understand Jesus because her heart is not heart. Her heart is different to theirs. Okay, I wonder, can you already see some of the implications? Let's go there for our last few minutes. The implications. I've got um, four implications for us to think about. These maybe are for us to reflect on during communion while we eat and drink. Uh, things to talk to each other about afterwards. Um, first one, as people with unclean hearts, last week's material, people with unclean hearts... That means that Jesus, he would be right to say no to us as well. It's the first one. Jesus would be right to say no to us as well. I wonder if that is really why we're so offended and horrified by verse 27. Uh, Jesus says no to her. Will he say no to me? Uh, verse 27 is just the application of everything that we learned about our unclean hearts last week. If our hearts are pumps of evil, do you remember last week I, I sort of asked you, why not try for a week? If you think I'm wrong, if you think Jesus is wrong, try for a week to live consistently with your own standards, always doing everything right to everybody, every minute of just one week or just one day. Try for a day. If Jesus is right... If that is really what we're like and we come to ask him for anything, he would be right to say no. And not just um, within his rights, uh, not just it would be right for him. You know, if you were Jesus' best friend, you would really, really advise him not to trust us, not to have us. But, but actually right, as in just and fair. The, the clean, unclean distinction, that's what was behind the whole distinction between Jew and Gentile. And Jesus, he, he blew that apart last week. Anyone with an evil heart deserves to have Jesus say no. 
and that is all of us. I think um, sometimes we, we imagine that Jesus, he must be so pleased to have us. Uh, maybe even in our worst moment, we, you know, people like us must be such a help to him. Like we're, um, we're doing him such a big favor by following him. Jesus, he, he doesn't need us. He shouldn't have us. He owes us nothing and we have no right to him. It's not that verse 28 is the, the Gentile route in and there's another one for Pharisees and clean people. Verse 28 is the only route for anybody with a human heart. And that's our, um, our second, sorry, our second implication. They're not up there. Our second implication is that faith, faith is a willingness to be a dog begging for crumbs. That's what faith really is in Mark's gospel. It's a dog begging for crumbs. And we get very confused about faith. Uh, the, we've turned it into the, the kind of thing you might put in a battery. Do you know what I mean? As in she has strong faith and uh, he has weak faith, uh, or he is very good at believing and I'm really very skeptical. Um, that is not the issue at all in Mark's gospel. Uh, it's not about, and what would you say with this woman? Is she weak or is she strong? In her faith. She's certainly confident, I think. She's certainly determined. But the big point is she is humble. The contrast is between humble, that's what faith is, and entitled. That is the opposite of faith. So if you come to Jesus thinking that you're doing him a favor and that he will be glad to have you and that that if he needs to forgive you, really, he's just doing his job. Well, then this woman should make you stop. And ask whether actually do you have faith at all? But if you come to Jesus on your knees, wondering how he could accept somebody with a heart like yours, with deeds and thoughts like yours, if you're willing to, to just be a, a dog, to be, if just if that's what it takes to be led in the house at all, if you'd be willing to have the very least crumb just to have anything from him, well, then you have faith in Jesus Christ. And then third implication. Uh, just think about uh, what it means that he says verse 29 to her. Third implication is that any begging dog can have the bread now. That's what she means. I may need next week's material to convince you, but I tell you that's what she means. Come back next week. Jesus, verse 29, he says, for such a reply. That is Jesus kicking the door open. Do you see why, why Mark's Gentile readers would have loved Jesus for this? Why this is a, a reassuring story for them? Um, we this evening, we're about to gather around a table and be offered bread. This is saying that if you approach this table on your knees you will not be turned away by Jesus. A humble cry for mercy will be heard every time. These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my words. And then fourth implication, last thing, and uh, really I'm stealing this from next week. Uh, The fourth thing is even crumbs from Jesus are amazing. This woman, she gets everything that she asked for. 
She goes home and her daughter is peacefully asleep and the demon is gone. And that for her, that is much, much more than a crumb. And in Mark's gospel, it's much more than a crumb. It's the same thing that Jairus got, the ruler of the synagogue. It's the same thing that the villages in Jewish Galilee got. It's as if, well, it is, that she counts just the same as any mother or father or daughter anywhere else that Jesus goes. In fact, where we'll go next week, it's like this. You come for the crumbs like a dog, and you sit down in the house as a daughter at the feast. That is where we're going to go next week.